You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Shimon Schwartzchild, international environmental protection advocate and activist. Because you were born in Germany. Yes. And uh, what you have seen, what you have witnessed, I mean, tell us about what that was like. Well, I I witnessed uh, being totally rejected. (laughs) And and not only witnessed it, I remembered uh, as a a 10-year-old, I remember that uh, uh, all the children uh, would go to a class in eugenics that I was not allowed to, to go to in my class. Uh, uh, and, and I remember the uh, insults that children learned uh, to uh, against Jews while I was still there. And I'm one of the lucky Jews who managed to leave. My, my father had a temper, and one day a Nazi came to our door. This is in the Hitler era. And uh, and and uh, my insult said something insulting to my father, and he he punched him. He had a temper and punched him, and he was jailed for t- for uh, two weeks or something like that. And that woke him up to the fact that he did not want to stay. He had fought in the war. He felt himself German, and so we uh, fortunately. You can't just leave a country. You have to have someone who will accept you. And we had relatives in the U.S. who were willing to get a visa for us because in those days, that's the only way you could leave a country. And uh, so we uh, emigrated in 36 uh, when I was 10, 10 years old. This must, on some level, have imprinted itself on you uh, to this is the later conservation work with birds and, and for the environment. But who were some of your best animal friends and human friends yeah. at that time? Well, at, at, at that time, uh, I didn't, uh, I had rabbits, but some weasels got at them. I remember that and killed them. And uh, and I had a dog, uh, but 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 uh, but I had a real I developed a real empathy for for animal animals, you know, and uh, um, and then well, what happened is that I uh, when I left, I decided to leave the uh, engineering and go. Uh, into hosteling because it was more peaceful. Uh, and one day, uh, uh, a friend, an Italian friend of mine, said you should visit Assisi, Italy, the home of Saint Francis, and see the birds of Saint Francis. And so I went there, and took. I remember taking a walk uh, on the trail leading up to Mount Subasio, the mountain that Francis known for and finding only feathers and no birds. And that made me realize that Italian hunters who love their hunting uniforms uh, had killed most of the songbirds, most of the birds. And I started a campaign to to, uh, prohibit hunting in Assisi. We were successful in doing that. I started, it was called the Assisi Bird Campaign. And uh, 
and ultimately we got a moratorium on hunting in Assisi. I, I reasoned with the hunters that, that they had an industry that they were all getting rich at, a million tourists who came to uh, uh, worship uh, St. Francis, and they were and they were killing the songbirds when, you know. So anyway, that that that's what really uh, got me involved uh, in uh, environment in the environment. I uh, then got involved in other campaigns like to save uh, save the whales uh, in in uh, Australia and New Zealand. And how did you, because you did come from this background in engineering, uh, you know, how did you, how, how did you, how you, how did you first recognize that you had these leadership skills and, you know, you've been running huge organizations and helping them grow and flourish. Yeah. Well, what happened is when I got back from uh, the war, I, I was now a graduate engineer and I went into engineering and, and I, and I, started getting you know when i got business almost all of the purchase orders were paid for by the the, the military the government and i just didn't want to be a part of this government military apparatus and so i literally left my career and uh, there happened to be an opening for the ma manager of a youth hostel in San Francisco, and I had got in line with about 30 other people and got the job. And, and, and of course, that changed my life uh, after that. I was mostly involved in um, nonprofit organizations and in uh, protecting. I'm very hopeful because uh, I, uh, because the uh, young people are, uh, are going to inherit the earth. And uh, I, I actually focused on the young people because I founded an organization uh, called uh, Action for Nature. And, uh, um, and they, uh, these young children are doing miraculous things to, to, to uh, conserve. Um, they, uh, we have echo heroes from all over the world. Every year we select, uh, find and select uh, young echo heroes. We give them a small um, monetary price because we're not a huge organization. But, but, the, but the claim to fame that they get uh, has made many of them become uh, like... Um, uh, uh, advices to prime ministers, you know, because of their uh, being their reinforcement uh, in uh, in environmental uh, conservation. Yeah. And you and you wrote a very moving poem, uh, "Return to the Time." If you will read, you think you will share a little a little of it with us? Yes, yes, I have it right here in the room. Okay, um, it's called Return to Rare Time, and about six shorts or eight, it's, well, I'll read it, and if it gets to be too much, tell me stop. Um, okay, I've made my peace with the past, my peace with the Germans, 
Not with the SS troops who go step past our house, one dark forbidding night, their black shiny boots reverberating on the co cobblestones, singing, no, shouting in cadence. When the Jewish blood spurts from the knife, we will all be free. Uh, <clears throat> the tune has etched itself so deeply in the cells and inner recesses of my brain that I find myself humming the gruesome words and the musical cadence that emerge together until I'm startled by the memory of that night and by my masochistic instinct to remember the event and epoch that turned me into a scared kid. We find we fled the bubbling cauldron that was to become the Holocaust and crossed the Atlantic to the land of cowboys, Indians, and streets paved with gold. To jobless America in depression, but breathing the air of freedom as the family etched, uh, eked out a living, each one of us working for the Yankee dollar in order to survive and thrive, strangers in a strange land. I was hurt by our frantic, frenetic exodus and angry too. I hated everything German, even though I was German too. Reminding myself that my family and the town's Jewish community too had our roots in Wertheim since 1405 AD, as the gravestones testified, before the Nazi bullies toppled or smashed them as a final insult to the dead. Wasn't it enough that they had toppled and smashed the lives of the living? I joined the Navy to fight the Germans and was sent to the Pacific in true snafu fashion to fight the Japanese instead. In the post-war era, I shunned German. I refused to socialize and fraternize with Germans. I refused to buy anything German. I refused to make love to Germans. I refused to ride in a German car, especially the Volkswagen that Hitler had extolled. Until one day, I confronted myself with this enigma. Hitler stereotyped all Jews as universal evil to be excised, gassed, eradicated, destroyed. Now I was stereotyping all Germans, shunning and, and reviling them, finding them all universally guilty, declaring them all universally responsible for the death of seven million Jewish brethren. I woke up to the realization that post-war Germans who were born after Hitler were as guilty of the Holocaust cruelties as I was guilty of the Native American Holocaust that occurred 100 years ago, right here in California, a bounty on their scalps, right here in the good old USA, the land of Washington and Lincoln, the land of wounded knee and the My Lai massacre and many more. So I made a conscious decision to stop my own 
brand of blind hate and intolerance, the same kind that I experienced from the Nazi bullies in Wertheim, who sh shouted obscenities and insults at me without even bothering to know me. A heavy weight lifted from my shoulder. The good vibes that I now felt must have echoed, reverberated, and ricocheted around the world, ricocheted around the world, and must have found the psychic antenna on the roof of Wertheim City Hall must have been received and heard by Joseph Scheuermann, Wertheim's Democratic mayor, who was scouring the world, searching for the town's 100 living Jewish survivors out of 200 who had once lived there. The other 100 were killed in the Holocaust, and we 100 living were now dispersed in a modern-day diaspora from Alabama to Zurich. Deep physical wounds leave permanent scars. Mental wounds are no different. The scars are hidden but there, capable of flaring again. My return to Wertheim started me to revisit these wounds, to look at them closely, but also to see them in perspective. I can better deal with them now that I'm more at peace, accepting that for better or worse, a part of me is German, the German of a Hitler Goebbels Bormann, but also the German of a Beethoven, Goethe, Einstein, and Heine. That's it. Well, I'm still touched by my own poem. It's funny, I'm, I don't read it that much. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Shimon Schwarzschild, for all that you have done, your environmental leadership and dedication to raising awareness about social, environmental, and humanitarian issues around the world so that we may create a better tomorrow. Thank you for adding your voice to the Thank One Planet Podcast. Thank you for listening to me. Yeah. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on subscribe. Thanks for listening.